This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Wurundjeri Land, and this is The Full Story. largest bank meltdown since the Great Recession more than a decade ago. Silicon Valley Bank collapsed this week. European markets have closed down more than 3%, spooked by a major sell-off of shares in the Swiss banking giant Credit Suisse. International banks have been in the headlines for all the wrong reasons lately. It's prompted fears of a full-blown crisis in the sector. And while economists have played down the impact this could have on Australian banks, there could be a different type of banking crisis looming next year. Today, Guardian Australia's senior business reporter Jonathan Barrett on mortgage prisoners and the threat they pose to the Australian economy. It's Monday, the 3rd of April. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, Jonathan, major banks like Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse have all collapsed in the last month. Can you just briefly recap what's happened and what's driving this? Well, the trigger for what has been described as a banking crisis was the March 10 collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. This is headquartered in California. It actually went under in less than two days. At the end of the week, those with large deposits in Silicon Valley Bank made big withdrawals based on fears SVB was running out of enough money to cover deposits. The fear fed on itself, and by Friday, the 16th largest bank in the nation could not keep up with the withdrawals and was seized by California regulators. It suffered a bank run where its customers demanded their money back because they just no longer had faith that the institution was stable. Silicon Valley Bank's collapse set off a panic not seen since the days of the financial meltdown of 2008, triggering urgent calls for calm and extraordinary action. Now, that all dates back to investments it had previously made. So Silicon Valley Bank, it catered for tech startups and venture capitalists and took a lot of deposits. It invested these in long-term Uh, bonds. Uh, These are linked to the US government and seen as very safe. But they were long dated, which means they weren't easily convertible to cash. Now, some of the excitement out of the tech sector started to seep out last year. And actually, a lot of clients at SVB started to take their money out. It was in the bad position where it had to cash in its investments before it wanted to, and it cashed in these long-dated bonds at a loss. 
when it disclosed this to investors and to clients on March 8, investors and customers immediately saw through this. Investors sold down shares immediately. Customers started pulling their money out of the bank. And it was was an old-fashioned run on the bank. They didn't want to be the last one there with money that could potentially get frozen in, in a collapse. And we know Credit Suisse collapsed in the same month. So what happened there? Across the Atlantic, we have Credit Suisse, a very old institution, one of the biggest banks in Europe. Now, it was having problems for a different reason. It had made uh, several bad investments over the years. It was caught up in scandals. It lost billions of dollars by being tied to a collapsed uh, hedge fund manager in the US as well. Now, that fear or what we call contagion that was stemming from SVP moved across to Europe. And once again, investors and customers lost faith in the ability of Credit Suisse to continue. They sold down the shares, they took their money out. And despite an intervention from uh, the the Switzerland Central Bank, that wasn't enough to quell the fears. And in the end, with the support of the Swiss government, uh, Switzerland's biggest bank, UBS, had to buy Credit Suisse to, to ultimately stop it collapsing. I guess the collapse of these banks shows how much impact the nerves of investors can have. And as you say, Jonathan, in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, we saw a run on the bank. So a lot of customers panicked and withdrew their money very quickly. You know, with investors nervous about this sector, not only internationally, but also here in Australia, could we see a bank run like that happen here? Well, I didn't think we were going to have the collapse of a major Swiss bank, which has been around for so long. So you never say never. But Australia is a very different market, especially compared to the US. There's far less competition in Australia banking. Now, that's not good for getting the best deal out of your bank, but it is good for bank stability. The kind of analogy I often think about is um, airlines and when you have cheap flights, often short flights. And when there's massive competition, you can get some really good prices, but often the prices get so low that they're not actually profitable for the airlines and you see them collapse. And that's what happens in a very, very competitive market. In a market like Australia, we don't have that kind of choice of banks. It's very tightly held and therefore they tend to be more profitable, have bigger margins and are safer. Mm. It's worth noting that the banking regulator has stress tested some pretty extreme scenarios and it believes that Australian banks would still get through a scenario that might include double-digit unemployment, a 40% drop in property prices and a significant fall to the country's GDP. The stress testing does seem to indicate unless people lose faith in the stability of the banks that they would still get through that kind of scenario. Well, that provides some comfort, but investors are nervous about banks here too as they read about what's happening overseas every day. Could there be a scenario where Australians lose faith in local banks? Well, just like countries like the US and also over in the UK, we've got rising interest rates and it has had an impact, but it's impacting differently here than it is in overseas financial institutions. 
Australian banks have a different sort of problem in that their exposure to mortgages is very, very high, and that's their main source of income. And there is a growing concern in particular for people who took out home loans in recent years. The banks, their profitability, their stability is linked to these mortgages, and as concerns rise for them, then some questions are being asked of the stability of Australian banks. Right. So why are there concerns being raised about this group of mortgage holders in particular? Well, during the pandemic, interest rates were at record lows and people took out loans during this time uh, and they often took out fixed loans as well. So before the pandemic in Australia, around 20% of mortgages were fixed and the rest were variable. But that percentage went up to about 40 45% early in the pandemic, people were impressed with the low rates on offer and wanted to lock them in. At the same time, the banks did a series of tests to make sure you could repay your loan. And that included checking if you could repay the loan if interest rates rose by 2.5 percentage points. This is called a serviceability buffer and that buffer or test was then increased to three percentage points uh, by late 2021. Right. So, Just to recap, that serviceability buffer is just a way for the banks to make sure that if rates do go back up, as they often tend to do, all those mortgage holders will still be able to pay off those loans, right? Exactly. It goes into the equation of how much a bank is willing to lend you and they get an understanding of how you would be able to or if you would be able to keep meeting repayments uh, if and when rates rise. Why are we concerned about this particular group of recent mortgage holders now? What's happening with them now? Well, the problem is that interest rates shot straight past that buffet, actually in a matter of months. So since May last year, the Reserve Bank started to hike rates to combat inflation. There's been 10 successive rate rises, equaling three and a half percentage points. So right away in a very short period of time, the official rates, and they were all passed on to mortgages, went straight through the buffer. And so people who took out loans during that period uh, actually weren't tested whether they can repay under today's rates. Mm. There'll be some who have plenty of spare capacity and they borrowed much less than they could have and they'll be able to meet these higher repayments. But there's also a cohort known as mortgage prisoners because they're stuck in this position where they're unable to afford the current loans, which might not be the best rates in the market. But because they no longer meet lenders' standards, they're unable to refinance or look elsewhere for a cheaper loan. I mean, could it be argued that part of the reason we're in this position with mortgage prisoners, Jonathan, is that banks didn't foresee that interest rates would rise so quickly and perhaps should have envisage that when revising the serviceability buffer years ago? Banks will always try and make money. And there was an expectation, and the Reserve Bank actually kind of put this out there in the market, that there was an expectation that rates would stay low for a prolonged period of time. Well, they've got in trouble for saying, having said that now, but yes, that's true. That's it. But but you're right. It's It was a risky, it turns out to have been a risky time as a household to purchase a home. And it turns out to be a risky uh, time for the banks to have lent that money. So if they lend money now when rates 
are higher, the loans that are being written now are viewed as much safer because if you put a 2 or 3% serviceability buffer on top of it, well, that should put the homeowner in good stead. They, it looks like they will be able to meet future repayments. But there's just been this very particular period in time where we had historic low rates. We also had rising house prices at the time and perhaps a bit of fear of missing out among some home buyers. And that has led to this uh, potentially troubling cohort, which are in a really difficult position now. So how many people are in this position, people that could be considered mortgage prisoners? Now, Reserve Bank modelling shows that at current interest rates, around 15% of indebted households with variable rates would experience negative cash flow. And this refers to simply that spending is more than the income coming into a household. This group is largely the mortgage prisoners. Mm. The number of people getting more than 90 days behind in the repayments is rising, albeit from modest levels, according to data from the residential mortgage-backed securities industry. Struggling mortgage holders are also shifting to interest-only loans. And at the same time, the good context to know is that house prices have been dropping. In some major cities, including Sydney, prices are down double digits from their peaks early last year. So we have this cohort of people, uh, some who are struggling to meet their current repayments and also sitting on negative equity or a house that's actually worth less than when they purchased it. So Jonathan, it sounds like this group of people, these mortgage prisoners, don't have a lot of options available to them. There's not a lot of room for them to move either way. So what could happen to them now? People are creative, especially when it comes to holding on to their homes. They'll cut expenses, stop going out so often, buy cheaper food, they'll pick up extra work. They'll also, and the data clearly shows this, they'll also dig into their savings. And another thing they might do is is borrow money, uh, borrow money from relatives, for example. But these are all short-term measures. So if there's an alleviation of the financial pressure, then sure, these things may help some households get through, but they're not long-term measures. Another one of those short-term measures is shifting to interest-only loans. So if they meet certain criteria, a bank may allow that, but all they're doing then is paying off the interest part of their mortgage and not actually getting into the mortgage itself. Mm, So putting off that pain for later on, but the pain will still be there at some point. Exactly. These mechanisms that people are turning to, well, they're all short-term solutions. But if the pressures, the financial pressures on them turn out to be long-term pressures, all that's happening is they're actually getting into an even more difficult uh, circumstance. So we could see a lot of people not only defaulting on their loans, but losing their homes in the next year. That's a human cost of it. So there may be some repercussions for the broader financial market of this, but the real concern is from this cohort of people who have bought a home, it may may have been a lifelong dream to do so, bought a home and seen financial circumstances change very quickly. Many may end up in a position where they either need to sell their home and if they don't do it early enough, then the bank will make the decision for them. Hmm, And potentially at a loss now that house prices are falling. That's right. So they're struggling to meet their mortgage repayments and sitting on an asset that isn't worth as much as they purchased it for. 
Next, what could a rush of failed mortgages mean for Australia's banks? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. So, Jonathan, before the break, you mentioned that the human cost of this problem where people are defaulting on their mortgages will be that they ultimately lose their homes. But you also mentioned that if this happens, there could also be broader implications for the banking sector. What could they be? Well, in that scenario, you get significant house price falls if you just get a rush of properties suddenly on the market. Now, banks wouldn't be able to recoup all the money that they'd lent out, and this would affect their profitability. This would be a a concern because Australia's broader financial services sector is the largest contributor to the national economy, a significant employer as well. And so if it suffered a significant hit, so too would the broader economy. You then get into a situation of would Australians lose faith in the stability of their banks? So a bank run would occur if people just felt their money was safer under their mattress than with a financial institution. And it's a difficult scenario to envisage, but all things are possible. And we've seen overseas that when fear really overtakes a market, it can actually sink a major bank. Right. All right. Well, that doesn't sound good. Is there anything that can be done to avoid such a situation? There are a few different possibilities. People could get uh, lots of pay rises in the next year. So that would increase their household income and help meet the repayments. Unfortunately, there's no real sign that this is happening across the board at the moment. Mm. Banks can extend uh, the length of the loans. This leads to uh, a smaller repayment, but just over a longer period of time. But once again, it is a bit of a scenario where you're just pushing the problem down the road. Another possibility is that the Reserve Bank could lower interest rates. There's a problem here in that to lower interest rates could actually fuel more spending and more borrowing, and that would actually be counter to what the Reserve Bank is trying to do at the moment in terms of combating inflation. So there's a potential problem there. It's also worth noting on that, that even if inflation does start to ease, and there are some signs of some easing there, that central banks have just around the world have been widely criticised for uh, creating an environment where inflation could get so high. And so there could be some trepidation among central banks really to cut 
rates too quickly. So there might be some easing, but probably unlikely to have significant rate cuts that would really help those people make uh, their repayments. What about changing the serviceability buffer? You know, that's the lending standards that mean that a lot of people can't get out of those difficult loans. There are growing calls for this buffer, which is overseen by the banking regulator, to be reduced. And this would allow some of that cohort to renegotiate potentially with their current lender or also uh, go into the market and see what better rates are around. So that could help them get a better rate and they can meet those repayments and really ward off a bad situation where they'd become a, a forced seller or the bank would need to foreclose. There is a counter argument to that too, and that lies if you loosen lending standards. Well, it might help some people get, get a better rate, but it could also open more people to get loans. And this really runs against the, the central bank's premise at the moment, which is trying to rein in spending to combat high inflation. You also don't necessarily want to loosen le- lending standards at this time. There is a banking crisis going on overseas and uh, the regulators want the Australian banks to be well capitalised. Jonathan, how long could it take for us to start to see these mortgage prisoners default on their loans? The stress is already on this cohort. So they're feeling that stress now. That is increasing this year, particularly as more and more people come off fixed rates and go to much higher variable mortgage rates. There are some forecasts in the market that by the end of this year, we're going to see a major uptick in delinquencies, which is people falling behind in their repayments, and then forced sales. A lot of this pain It might be felt this year, but 2024 really is the year that we expect it to come to a head. That was Jonathan Barrett. He's a senior business reporter for Guardian Australia. If you want to find out more about the plight of mortgage prisoners, I recommend you check out his article about this. It's called Australia's Soaring Interest Rates Have Trapped Mortgage Prisoners Into Crushing Repayments. I'll post a link to that on the full story page. This episode was produced by Alison Chan, Laura Briley-Newton and myself. Sound design and mixing was by Joe Koning, who also composed our theme music. The executive producer for this episode was Miles Martignoni. I'm Jane Lee. Catch you next time. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.